going to be good. If you turn tonight to Acts chapter 28, as we begin this last chapter, we're going to start it tonight. We'll finish it the next time that I am together. Remind you this Monday, Connie, Brandon, and Austin and I will be leaving for Washington, D.C. We're going back to a conference with the Family Research Council, and so uh, Pastor Luke's going to be teaching next Wednesday night. We'll finish the book of Acts up the following Wednesday night. Um, I'll actually be back on Saturday, so I'll be here Sunday, both Sundays. But we're beginning now this long look towards Rome. And Paul's traveled. He's done this incredible journey that has been fraught with difficulty and all kinds of problems and He's now gone through the storm and gone through the shipwreck. He's now on the island of Malta. Uh, he's just uh, scant 56 miles south of Sicily. He's still about 175 miles or so from the Italian coast. He's only about 180 miles from the coast of Africa. So he's still out in the middle of nowhere. He, he has not reached Italy yet. He's not made the final journey to Rome. And in the process of this, we find this incredible account here in the first ten verses of an apostle who makes the very best of a bad situation. You know, what we do with the difficult things that come in our lives is really an indicator of where we are with the Lord. It's real easy for us to, you know, have joy and prosperity. It's it's easy for us to talk to people when things are going good. We're saying thank you, Jesus, when we got a new car. Uh, We're all out wandering around praising the Lord on high when things are going good. But this is an opportunity for us to really see the type of depth that we can have in our relationship when the Lord is so alive in us that we make the best of a really bad situation. Paul's been shipwrecked. Matter of fact, he, for all intents and purposes, and for all he knows, he's stranded on an island. He's not made it to the Italian mainland. He hasn't even made it to Sicily yet. He's not wandered through the region of Catalonia. He hasn't made it up there to the isthmus that goes out to Lipnus, which is the little city that's on the point. If you look at the boot that is Italy, you all know that. Remember that from geography, you know, looks like a boot down there in the toe. Sicily sits right off the coast of the toe of the mainland, and he's not even made it there yet. He's out in the middle of the ocean still. He's got some distance to travel, and he's shipwrecked. He's someplace that he never intended to go. He's someplace he doesn't want to be, and he's going to have yet some more difficulty happen to him, but tonight the real lesson is, are you going to make the best of it? Are you going to use the opportunities that God's given you to bring glory to his name through those things that we just don't really want to do. I'm sure Paul would have rather have just simply sailed on to Italy and got off on the shore, maybe you know a few miles from uh, the port city that's just about 30 miles from Rome itself. They could have made it up the coast, and it would have been nice, smooth sailing. They would have been on the leeward side, away from the wind, and it would have been a leisurely journey along the Italian coast, and it would have been nice and sunny and warm. He could have laid out on the promenade deck in his lounge chair and got some sun, you know. But that isn't what happened. He got thrown off the ship into rough surf and waged his way ashore in the midst of rubble. And now he's going to find himself in yet another difficult situation, making the best of it. Let's pray. Father God, tonight, 
as we look at this wonderful passage of Scripture, Lord, these words which you pen through the Holy Spirit. Lord, as the gospel author, the Apostle Luke, writes these words, Lord, being there himself, he's on the journey. It's a first-hand account. We're just so in awe of the steadfastness of the Apostle Paul and how he made the best of each and every situation. And here, yet another one that is seemingly a disaster, and yet you cause it to work together for good. Lord, may we lay hold of that promise, that Romans 8.28 promise, that behold, all things work together for the good, for those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. Lord, as each of us lives out our lives on this earth, we spend time in prayer with you and in your word. Lord, may we make the best of every situation. Bless your word as we study it. Encourage us with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take these ten verses as a story and then we'll break it down. Verse 1, it says, And now when they had escaped, and, and then they found out that the island was called Malta, so they're going to land on this little tiny island. Uh, it's about 17, 18 miles long. It's roughly nine miles wide. It's not very big. You're talking something that's on the, the range of 100 square miles. It's not very large at all. But it's large enough, and it's large enough that the Phoenicians had settled it and had built quite an industrious little colony there. Uh, the Romans then took that over as the Romans spread out through the world, kicked the Phoenicians out and back over to what is modern-day Lebanon. Uh, this area, region of the world at that time, through the number of the Greek historians of the time, the Roman historians of the time, uh, was known for a very, very specific and wonderful cloth that was used to uh, encompass the couches of imperial Rome. And so they were very fine weavers. They were, these were predominantly wealthy people. Uh, they had an opportunity to... Uh, have great provision, and so here they kind of almost like a little island destination. If you got to be shipwrecked, not a bad place to land. But they're still shipwrecked. They don't belong here. They have none of their possessions. Whatever was on them is what they have. Whatever they whatever they could float to the shore. And so here they land on Malta, and the natives showed us an unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome, because of the rain that was falling and because it was cold. And remember that the area that they're in, they're now probably in winter itself, at least late fall. Highly likely it's actually already winter. They're in the northern hemisphere. The wind has begun to blow down the Italian uh, peninsula, which at the top of that are the Dolomite Alps. Beyond that are the Austrian Alps. Beyond that are the, the European Alps that are stretch all the way over to France. So there is a cold wind blowing. This is a winter storm. It's not nice out. It's very chilly. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. And I want you to underline, that's a very, very important piece of information. Because the viper fastens onto his hand, it's seen by everybody. This is very obvious that God is going to use this. If the viper had simply struck Paul, they probably wouldn't have known. I myself have been bit by a rattlesnake. And I can tell you, you, if they bite you, they're gone about as fast as as you can possibly imagine. 
But this wasn't that type of viper. And this is a piece of information that we now, looking back uh, through modern zoology, are going to have a pretty good window that not only did God use this, but it backs up with the very specific species of snake that happens to still live there today. So underline that. And so here... It fastens on to his hand, and they said one to another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Now remember, this is Greek and Roman culture. They're pantheistic. They believe that the sea is guided by Neptune. If you happen to be a Roman or Poseidon, if you happen to be a Greek, there's a god of the sea, and the god of the sea basically swallows you up or makes sure that you pay the price for any evils that you do. And in fact, at that point in time of history, uh, if in fact you were had committed a crime, a very common punishment was to take you out to sea and throw you overboard. And if you made it back to land, you were innocent. If you died, you were guilty. And so Paul has already escaped but they're still thinking he's guilty. And so now, great, he's finally got what's due because we knew he was guilty all along. And so justice is going to be done by the Greek pantheon or by the Roman pantheon of gods. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And however, when they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but after they had looked for a long time, they saw no harm had come to him, and they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, this isn't how God with a big G works. I don't know how he does. Because this is the type of situation, the type of things that we often find ourselves in, and I would ask you a very simple question. What snake is latched onto your hand that God wants to use? What thing has come into your life that it appears that you're going to die from? And maybe that's mentally, maybe that's emotionally, maybe it's physically, maybe it's actual Disease, it might be a sickness. Maybe there's some viper that has been sent by the hand of the enemy, the wicked one, to test you, to tempt you, to, to drive you to the edge. What viper has latched onto your hand that God wants to use? And are you brave enough to shake it off? How are you going to use the things that God allows in your life? And when people think you a God, when people think you're, you know, really all that, Are you going to give glory to the Lord, to the King of Kings, to the one who really pulls these miracles off? Verse 7, in that region there was an estate of a leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul went into him and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. And so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And they honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. And so here it begins with a shipwreck. The next step in this is is a viper latches on to Paul's hand. In the process of him shaking it off, in the process of you shaking it off, God wants to touch people's lives. In the process that we know is spiritual growth, very often born in the crucible of difficulty, God wants to use that time in your life to reach other people. 
And He can do through those things, those circumstances in life, those difficult things, things that He cannot otherwise do through your life. Because when people see you go through stuff that it looks like it should kill you, again, put this into proper perspective for our modern day and time, might kill you mentally. Maybe it'll kill you emotionally. Maybe you're so exhausted you think you can't go on. Maybe you think that cancer is one. Maybe you are at that financial end of the rope. You're in a place that you've been bit by the viper and it looks like you're going to die. But you shake it off. And you look around and say, God, what do you want me to do next? You saved me for a purpose. You brought me out of this difficulty. People are looking to me. They know something miraculous has happened. Notice how he has an audience that's been prepared by the Lord himself. Look at what happens here. Nobody could plan this kind of thing. And yet the results of it are staggering. Now, how many people are going to think that a shipwreck is going to bring about a great revival? Not too many. How many think a viper bite is is going to be the cause of people actually seeing the truth of, of God's power? Not very many. None of us are going to sign up for viper bites. You know, there's a, there's a list out in the foyer, and and I'm not suggesting that we're going to do what those morons do down in Texas, which is go out and round a few up and throw them in a swimming pool and jump in with them and say, spare to God, come at you. We're not going to do that. I've watched these guys, by the way. It's most of the time. Not only do they get bit, they, you know, they they get what they deserve, actually, because they're making a mockery of the things of the Lord. But no, but nobody's going to sign up for that. Why? Because we don't trust God. We, we wouldn't sign up for these things because our faith needs to grow. It's not that God isn't sufficient. It's not that our faith is incapable of surviving those things. This is our faith. We, we, we don't grow in faith. We don't want to be tested a lot of times. Matter of fact, we go out of our way to keep from being tested at times. We go out of our way from stepping out in faith a lot of the time. We, we don't want to take the risk. We're, on, we're afraid to pick up the pile of wood. We're trying to figure out how to get away from it. If you remember back in chapter 27, God had already told Paul that the shipwreck was inevitable. It was going to happen. Paul's faith was so great that at this point in time, he wasn't going, Oh, great, I got bit by a snake. Anybody else guilty of that mentality? You know, like, what else can happen, Lord? I have those things. There are times, even as a pastor, I'm like, what else can go wrong, God? Isn't, isn't this enough? But see, the problem is I'm looking at my own strength and not the strength of the God who saved me. I'm looking with fleshly eyes. I'm not seeing with spiritual eyes. Paul is seeing very clearly with spiritual eyes here. And we're not told what he said. We, we don't know if he snickered or laughed or, you know, made some remark about, well, that isn't going to do it either. We're not told any of those things. But we know the results of how he lived his life after he got bit by the snake. What should have killed him became a strength to him. That old axiom, what doesn't kill you only serves to make you stronger. 
It's actually true in a spiritual sense. You know, when you go through those difficult things, it does make you stronger. Paul not only survived it unharmed, but he, he turned it into something that was positive and wonderful and glorious. I would pray that that's the way we look at difficulty in our life. That we look at those things, God, let me make the best of this situation. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I signed up for. It isn't, it isn't what I even think is the very best. So very often in life, we don't get to, to make those finite choices for the things that come into our life. Sometimes things just simply happen to the body of Christ. Amen? You know, sometimes circumstances come to you, whether you've been good, bad, naughty, or nice. You know, whether you got coal in your stocking or a nice bicycle for Christmas, things definitely happen to the body of Christ that are pretty much unwarranted by the person that they happen to. The question is, what are you going to do with them? You're going to allow God to use it. During this three-month stay on Malta, Paul's experiences were, were going to be circumstances that he would actually be strengthened by. He takes a shipwreck and a snake bite. He's already had a storm. He now has a he's got all these S's going together, notice this. He's got a, he's got the storm, he's got the shipwreck, he's got the snake bite, he's got the three S's. And they they're all horrible things and yet God's using them in miraculous ways. They're all difficult things, uncomfortable things, and yet God's using them in miraculous ways. While Satan is trying to do his very best, or better yet, his worst, to bump Paul off, destroy his life, discourage him, can you imagine some of the things that we would humanly be thinking about now? You ever try to put yourself into a situation like it? Listen to this whole story. Now take it all the way back to when he got on the little coastal trading ships, that plied up the coast of modern-day Lebanon and around past Turkey and shoots over to Crete, and he's now made this journey. He's, he's gone some 1,500 miles in a ship. Uh, this is not comfortable sailing. This is not Princess Cruises. This is a wooden boat. It does not have bathroom facilities. They collected rainwater in barrels, which got rank and horrible. They're probably eating some type of a bread mash. It wasn't bread because there's too much moisture out on the ocean and it wouldn't keep. So they would take grain, mix it with water, and basically eat it before it was cooked. Sometimes they would actually have a little kind of oven on the ship, and they'd make what we would call basically tortillas or like a pita bread. Yeah, this, was, this was gnarly sailing. He's been out there for months. Remember, they stopped eating food for two weeks. And then they finally ate what they had left that they didn't throw overboard before they came ashore. This, and, and here Paul is now, it's not bad enough the storms, it's not bad enough the shipwreck. Now he gets bit by a serpent. And, and Paul's saying, God, how can you use this? Man, what a lesson for us. A lesson for me. You know, as we think of the things in our lives that God's doing, that He's allowing. You know, I, I when I first got the email today about the, you know this race thing, and I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's like, Lord, haven't we suffered enough? The three thirties closed. We're all insane from driving down the 18 already, and you're going to bring, you know, 25,000 drunks to our area? Are you, this is too much for me, Lord? Shield my eyes, oh God, that I cannot take anymore. You know, I, I was thinking those things. I'm going, you know what? Maybe we'll have a few extra folks in church on Sunday. How's God going to use it? We don't know. 
Oh, we know he can. We hand these things to him and allow him to use these things that he's brought into our lives. There are so many parallels between Paul's life and the life of Joseph. And you remember the story of Joseph, which terminates in the end of the book of Genesis. But there in chapter 50, if you remember the story of Joseph, his brothers have sold him into slavery. They threw him into a pit. They hoped that he was dying. This is not the start to a stellar career. He ends up in Pharaoh's court. He advances, but Pharaoh's wife finds favor with Joseph, tries to seduce him. He's now in trouble with Pharaoh. He's got all these things. His brothers come back, and they don't even know who he is. And he begins to speak to them in Hebrew. They find this like, oh, it's me, Joseph. You see, the whole story of his life has actually culminated there in about verse 19 of chapter 50, and Joseph, remember, says to him, he says, don't be afraid, for I've been placed here by God. Now think of what he's saying. Look at what Paul's doing. Don't be afraid, brothers. You meant these things. Satan meant these things. That chapter goes on to finish out for evil. You intended to do me harm. These people put me on a boat thinking I was going to die. Some of them wanted to toss me overboard. From Joseph's perspective, he got it right. What his brothers intended for evil, what Satan intended to do, no doubt. You know, I'm kind of one of those guys, I believe emphatically that mosquitoes were, were created. They weren't created, but they were an aberration of something that God made that was good. And Satan, you know, just twisted their genetic code or something. I don't, you know. Because what good is a mosquito, really? Now, don't take that and make doctrine out of it. But there, there are things on this earth that you look at, and it's just like, you know, like, why did God allow that? You know, why does God allow Paul to make it all the way to this island, and now he gets bit by a viper? You know, it's pretty crazy if you think about it for a second. But it's the same as in Joseph's life. He was going to provide. God actually sent Joseph ahead in a time of famine to provide for the whole of the Jewish people through all of those trials and tribulations that he went through. The same is going to be true for Rome, because Paul's going to make it to Rome. God promised him he'd make it to Rome. And in all that God was doing, even though all these difficult things fall upon the Apostle Paul, the Lord intends it for good. That's that Romans 8.28 mindset. We don't know how God's going to work it together for some eternal good. And again, there's nothing good about a snake bite. There's nothing good about a shipwreck. There's nothing good about a storm. But there's eternal good that can be done with them. That's the point. And so here, what the devil intended for evil, God turns into good. Break it down here a little bit, the first couple of verses. And so when they're safe on shore, so they finally made it to shore, they're two weeks in that storm that's pushed them from Fair Havens on the Isle of Crete. They're worried about crossing over. They've gone so far south. They looped around. They they covered some of that ground that uh, is that nearly 200 miles it would be left that would dump them out in Africa someplace. Uh, there, he's there. He's still 320 miles from Rome. It's not like it's a little short, tiny journey. I mean, it'd be, the, it'd be about the same as if you and I, wow, we're almost home, and we're talking about walking to San Francisco. That's a long ways. They're, they're still a long ways off. 
And so here he is, and the first thing that happens to him as he gets on shore, he doesn't know who these guys are that are coming to him, but finds out they're going to be okay. And all of a sudden, verses 3 and 4, and as Paul gathers an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, and you really need to translate that viper, uh, fastens itself onto his hand. Remember I told you to underline that? There are only two types of vipers in all of the Mediterranean. One of them is very, very, very similar to our rattlesnakes we have here. The other is a Levantine viper, and that Levantine viper is the only viper in the world. It's found in this region of the world and this region of the world only. And what it's known for is the fact that it does not strike like a regular viper does, which basically strikes and retreats. It strikes, latches on, and then just continues to grind the venom into its victim, so much so that the Romans called it a coffin snake. That's what's bit him. No wonder they think he's a god. Because we now look at this, and a modern herpetologist would say, yep, that's what it was. It's of the family Macrovipera, and it was highly likely a blunt-nosed European viper. And it latches onto his hand, and Paul just shakes it off. That doesn't happen. Even the shaking it off is giving us a sense that the enemy's trying to kill Paul. The other unique thing about this particular snake, guess its favorite habitat? Piles of dead wood. They're constantly found at the bottom of trees, curled up in underbrush and those types of things. So the story not only fits the context of what we now know about this particular species of viper, of which this one likely is, but it's giving us a picture that, that Satan pulled out all the stops to terminate Paul's life. He couldn't kill him with the storm, couldn't kill him with the shipwreck, so he's going to send a serpent. This should be a warning to you, because the enemy doesn't quit. He's going to continue to fight his fight. He's going to keep doing his things that he does, and he's going to try and find some place, a chink in your armor, something he can do to get to you. And whether it's a storm or whether it's a shipwreck or whether it's a serpent, the enemy is not satisfied until he's finished you off or caused you to fall away from the Lord. And so... Uh, here Paul has, has this snake that latches onto his hand. And I want to remind you again of another passage of Scripture. If you turn over to Mark chapter 16, that's the last chapter there in the Gospel of Mark. And we all know of the Great Commission. Mark does something unusual in his recording of what Jesus said there. Because you remember at the Great Commission, he was actually seated with the 11 disciples now and uh, he rebukes their hardness of heart. He begins to speak to them. He says they're going to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice in verse 17 what it says, And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. And they will drink of anything deadly. They will by no means be harmed. And they will lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. The Lord Jesus was actually speaking, I believe, of this particular event and actually preordains, if you will, the Apostle Paul so that when these things happen, some nearly 30 years later now, it would validate Paul's ministry. He's going to handle serpents. He's going to 
hand, take care of these things that might be deadly otherwise, and God's going to preserve him. And so we have a picture of how God works in his marvelous ways to remind us these things are not just stories. They're not just legends. They, they weren't what the Greeks and the Romans were thinking. They're thinking, well, you know, Poseidon must have spit him up on the shore, so he's okay now. Paul should have died. There shouldn't be any two ways about it. Where he gets bit in the hand, that's one of the worst places you can be bit by a poisonous snake. It makes it very quickly to your heart, depending on the type of venom it is, whether it is a venom that works on the central nervous system or like this particular snake, it happens to work on both. It destroys red blood cells and works on the central nervous system. He would have been dead very, very, very quickly. But God. And that's that beautiful picture. That phrase, but God, is found in Scripture about 45 times. And, and very pertinently so in most of the letters that Paul writes. And he usually follows it like he did there in Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy, wherein he loved us. You see, God's the, the marvelous piece of the equation that we often leave out. We would say, but the snake, but the shipwreck, but the storm. We need to remember that at the end of every sentence for us, it's but God. Every circumstance, it's but God. Everything that we ponder in our minds, everything that happens to us, but God. You know, so many things in life, we, we need to remember to add the but God. You and God, me and God, us and God is a supermajority. It's a winner. It's an unbeatable team. And we need to rest and trust. And as Paul, you know, as they're uh, looking this, it actually, um, we use an English word, but it's actually a Greek word that we use and have not even changed it from its Greek original. The Greek word nemesis, you probably all know that. That's like something that hunts you down. It's after you. It's the thing that can take you out or can kill you. You know, Superman's nemesis was kryptonite, you know, that type of thing. The Greeks believed in a god, S, named Nemesis, and Nemesis was the god of retribution, or the goddess of retribution, rather. And basically, if what didn't kill you the first time was supposed to kill you, Nemesis would continue to send things after you until you finally died. Can you imagine now why these people were just being hospitable to Paul? Because they've heard the whole story. This dude traveled 1,500 miles across basically open ocean and survived it in a sinking ship. He's been shipwrecked. He's just been bit by a serpent. Nemesis has come after him, and he won. You realize how big an open door that was for God, for God to work through Paul's life to say, you want to know how I beat all of this? I wasn't afraid of Nemesis because the Lord my God was with me. The same God that promised me at the beginning of the journey I'm going to make it to Rome is going to see me through to Rome. You see, the whole thing was this tremendous, this open book to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody he met. The storm was that. The shipwreck was that. The serpent was that. It was all God setting up a circumstance whereby the Lord could be glorified in Paul's life through the difficulties that he went through, the pains that he endured, the struggles that he survived. Then as Paul shook off the snake there in verse 5 into the fire, 
and was unharmed as the people waited for him. Now you can imagine, because they're thinking Greek goddess Nemesis got him. Couldn't kill him with the storm, couldn't kill him with the shipwreck, but he'll never survive this because he's guilty. Can you imagine the testimony that Paul had with these local people? Well, let me tell you why I'm I'm still alive. Let me tell you why I'm in the ministry. Let me tell you why I'm not a drunk anymore. Let me tell you how we survived that difficulty in our finances. Let me tell you what it was like after we got through that experience in business. Let me tell you what it was like to come from a divorced family. Let me tell you how I survived those things. No, it should have killed me. I should be out of my mind. I should be institutionalized. Let me tell you about the God that got me through those things. You see how God works those things out? You see, it's not that we should go out and try and create a testimony. Uh, Don't go out and find some kind of sin or difficulty and go, I'm going to go out and see if God can save me if I jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. That way I can share with whoever picks me up in the water. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about as the enemy tries to kill you, which is what the enemy was trying to do with Paul, with the serpent, and with the shipwreck, and with the storm. The enemy was trying to say, oh, no, God promised, but you watch this. I'll kill him, and then his witness is gone. Not only does he survive, but he thrives. He actually has his witness increase through these difficult things that happen to him. And so they're waiting for him to drop dead. They waited for a long time. I would have loved to have been here at this. This is cool. This is my type of situation. They're all sitting around a campfire. You, you, they didn't, you know, they didn't have their Game Boys out, or they weren't playing Xbox. We're not watching a plasma screen TV. None of that stuff. They're sitting around a campfire, noshing on some dried fish, eating some pita bread, waiting for Paul to die. They probably have a little pool going. Guy's got the clay tap. Yeah, I got to eat fifteen. Ah, he's 16. He ain't going to make it any longer than that. They're all betting on when he's going to drop over dead. And Paul's just sitting there. He's eating away. He's having another glass of water, whatever they brought, you know, a couple of pomegranates or something. And they're, he's not dead. No discomfort, no swelling. They're sitting there. Man, his, his hand is going to be as big as a house. They're looking at his hand. Look back at each other. You get the picture. They're waiting for, they're literally waiting for him to die. This is like entertainment for them. All of a sudden, he's not going to die. They're wanting to know who this God is that this Paul, the apostle who's just sailed across the ocean to come to Malta. And because they believed in divine providence of some kind, this was no accident. So what was happening? Well, guess what Paul's going to do? He's going to tell them, what's happening, man? These superstitious pagans were, sees Paul unhurt, and they're like trying to figure out what, who, you know, what is he on? You know, what God does he worship? Do you remember what we saw with Paul when he was at the Acropolis? There he's ministering there. I see you have these little niches to these gods, and you got one for Monday and one for Tuesday, and that's Bob's God over there, and Susie's God's up there, and they all have their own little gods. And I see you got one empty here. Well, that's just in case we missed one. Let me tell you about the one that you're missing. Now he's got another opportunity. Nah, Zeus and Neptune didn't get me here. Poseidon didn't get me here. You know, it wasn't that Nemesis couldn't quite finish me off. 
It was my God preserved me for this time. What this, the enemy meant for evil, God purposed for good, and he's got a plan in this. Let me tell you about what he's doing. And so this incredible open door opens up. And there was an estate, verse 7 says, nearby that belonged to Publius, the official of the island. That's basically the governor. He was the, he was the hot chief dude on the island. You know, he was like, he was the guy that was in essence in charge of the entire island. If you were going to Hawaii, he would have been the mayor of the county of Maui or something. We don't know. But he was the official. He was basically the highest ranking person on the island. And so they end up being welcomed into his home for three days and he entertained them hospitably. What a, what a neat picture this is. Do you know how he got in there? I think it's pretty clear actually from the text. Probably all of these people went running back to their mayor and they said, this dude got bit by a viper and he shook it off and we stood there and waited for him to die, but he didn't die. We think God's with him. So now he's got an entrance into the very most powerful person on this island. He would have never had that if he'd just been one of... 286 refugees that came on a boat that crashed on a shoal off the coast of Malta. God needed to do something else, and it had to be spectacular, and it had to be unexplicable. This couldn't be explained by human standards. God works in those kind of things. Have you ever noticed that in your life? That the things that are most useful to the Lord are the things that cannot be explained by rational means. I, I can't tell you why we have a house. There is no reason that we have a house. If we were sitting there talking, I don't think we're ever going to have a house. Then all of a sudden, you know, God produces a thing that's going to fall down. And by miraculous means, we end up putting in an offer that is stupid to the point of being half the what it's worth. And we offered the guy cash and we didn't even have it. And so he said yes. So, well, now we have a problem. He said yes. So we had to pray and somebody had to give us the money. Well, somebody gave us the money. All of it. We had to pay it back, but nonetheless, we didn't have it. God works that way. So when people come, well, you know, I just don't know how God can solve that problem. That's because your God's about this big in a world that's that big. God uses those difficulties in your life. The first man of the island comes out, and he's no doubt a large, very wealthy estate. As I said, that had been probably settled in, in about 200 or so B.C. So for 250 plus years, this has kind of been a little getaway for people from Sicily and perhaps Italy itself and had a thriving industry creating these beautiful fabrics that were used on Roman couches, known to be the finest in the world. And so uh, it, it, it just gives you this beautiful picture that no matter what's going on, ultimately you are safe in God's hands. Now, no matter what seems to be happening, it, God has it under control. It may be even out of control by the world standards, but God has it under control. As Paul will list in 2 Corinthians, it's kind of a neat chapter there in chapter 11. Remember, I've shared that with you a couple of times, at least parts of it. There in chapter 11, he lists all these things. 
He's been shipwrecked three times, not once. He's gone without sleep. He's been in terrors of his countrymen and terrors of strangers. He's been tossed off of boats. He's been beaten with rods. He's been stoned. I mean, Paul's had, for all intents and purposes, it's like, wouldn't you have given up? I mean, I would have gotten out to, you know, it's just like, you know, I'm just not going to Rome. I don't care if God promised it or not. It just ain't worth it. If I got to, you know, this is dumb. That's our human response. We look at it and we say, well, I'm not going to, no, you can't do it. I was okay until the snake bite thing, but now I'm not okay with it anymore. You see, we kind of have limits that are established by who we are, or really in essence, in our humanness. And we need to learn to let God stretch out the boundaries of our lives a little bit and use some things that perhaps we don't want to go through. It's a long reminder that when we walk with the Lord, there's, there's not a thing that can stand in your way. When you're walking in the middle of God's will, there, there's no such thing as an enemy that can defeat you. No weapon fashioned against you shall prosper, says the Lord. doesn't matter if it's a snake or a storm or a shipwreck or financial difficulties or jobs. or Name whatever you want to name. There is nothing the enemy has at his disposal that is sufficient to take out the plans of the Lord. God will have his way. He'll have his will done. Now, we can lengthen the process by being out of God's will. We can make that journey harder. We also have the capacity to make it shorter by being in the middle of God's will. And so it happened, verse 8 says, that the father of Publius was laying sick in a bed with fever and dysentery, and Paul followed him and cured him by praying and putting hands on him. Can you imagine that? Now, they thought he was a god before when he shook off the snake. Now, now there's a dude that's going to die, and Paul just simply lays hand on and prays for him. And, and James would echo that, that the effective and the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That if there be one among you who's sick, take him to the elders of the church and lay hands and pray, pray for him. That's the context. Now, what a, what a beautiful picture this is of God doing something that doctors just sit around and go, I don't know what happened. It's like I shared with you when I was in the hospital with the Abergs. Holly Joy was born dead. She was not breathing. She was dead. She was stillborn. Oh, we lifted her up and prayed for her and believed God. God's the one that gave her breath and then gave her 18 hours on top of that breath. There's no explanation for it. The nurses are all, they looked at me rather strange when I said, can we pray for her? They're like, why? She's dead. They didn't want to go through the effort. It didn't make any sense to them. Can you imagine what they're thinking now? They saw a miracle. All glory and honor goes to the Lord. We were sitting in the hospital room sharing the hows and the whys and the wherefores. Said specifically to two nurses, we just believed that God said he would give them time. There's no explanation for it. There's no magic. There's no spell. There wasn't specific words. It wasn't like I pulled out a book of common prayers and said, oh, well, we've got to find one for a baby that's dead. Just leaning on the promises of God. And, Lord, we believe you said. We, we believe that that's what you told us you would do. We're trusting you with that. And God did it. And after this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. 
And notice the result of this. They bestowed many honors on us. They may have not gotten it right. Can I just stop you here for a second? Sometimes people get the wrong impression. You will share with them the truth. You'll say, no, it was just totally the Lord. You'll give glory and honor to God. And they're still going to think that you got some kind of weird magic touch. They may still think that, you know, you just have some power to overcome matter. They're going to not get it right. They may think that you yourself are a god. If they wait long enough, they'll figure that that one is not the answer. Your job is to not try and correct everything else that they think is that is incorrect about what they've seen. Your job is just simply to glorify the Lord and let God have those circumstances so that he can use them. You know, so very often, and we see this in our lives, you've been sharing the Lord maybe with some family member or maybe somebody that's close to you, a friend, and you just keep sharing the Lord. You're telling them the truth. And then all of a sudden, somebody else says two words to them, and they and they come to the Lord. And you're like, well, I said that 15 years ago. You're like, what? Did they have some kind of, you know, special anointing from the Lord? No, maybe it was just God's perfect timing. We have to continue to let God be sovereign in all that he does and all that he says. The way he functions in this earth. And I don't have answers for every circumstance or situation. Connie and I go through stuff every single day, just like you do, that we don't have specific answers for. At the end of the day, we just have to trust God too. It's no different for a pastor than it is for any of you. We have to trust God and then let him work in the things that he's allowed to come into our lives. Uh, Malta was um, actually, they had a thing called Maltese fever. It it existed up until about the 1900s. And Maltese fever was actually commonly from goat's milk and it was normally fatal. Remember, they didn't have refrigeration. This is out in the middle of the ocean. And so normally, if they didn't immediately consume goat's milk, they would turn it into a cheese. And, but if they kept it for too long, it would be filled with bacteria, um, very often cause dysentery, and very often cause people to become dehydrated and then die. And so Paul appears to have the cure for this disease. But the disease that they were really suffering from was sin and death. And that was what God wanted to do with Paul's life. He wanted to bring the gospel to this little tiny island. Now think on this. How good is God that this relatively affluent island in the middle of nowhere, uh, in, in the middle, in essence, of the Mediterranean Sea, below the Aegean, uh, that, that God would send the Apostle Paul on a journey to Rome and take him this far out of the way to save in essence, the ruler of the island's father, and ultimately bring the gospel message to this little tiny outpost in the middle of nowhere. This is God. This is what happens when you go on vacation, and all of a sudden you're there and you're out barbecuing in front of the place that you've rented, and the guy comes up and he's not doing too well, and maybe he has had a couple of beers too many, and you begin to share with him, and the next night he comes back because he wants to know what's going on in your life and how come you've been through that situation and you're not messed up like he is. That's how God works. God may have to take you on a journey that ends up someplace where you hadn't really planned on being. 
but he's going to do some gospel work in your life. It came time to leave this particular island. They get loaded up with gifts, and the next 320 miles of their journey were going to be a whole lot easier. So to some degree, God even takes them out of the way to actually provide for them. There's a picture here. Sometimes God takes us to places we wouldn't otherwise go because that's his perfect plan. That actually those divine delays, those shipwrecks and storms, those snake bites, are actually God working those things together for his perfect plan for you. I've met so many people in the last couple of years here on the mountain that, you know, they came up here and, well, the air is clear. And I just wanted to move out of the big city. And, you know, you begin to share with them that this place isn't the answer to any of the problems that they have in life. As wonderful as it is and as blessed as we are to be here, that we have meth labs here, too. We have gangbangers here, too. We have parking problems like they've never seen before part of the year. We, you know, we have urban sprawl. We have trash. And we have all those things going on. Maybe God's brought them here for just a season to minister to some specific area so that they're shown that it doesn't matter where you live. They're prepared, in essence, to go back to the city that God's actually called them to, where he wants to use them. And he brought them for a short time, and they're sent away strengthened. The, the question is, are we willing to serve God wherever he takes us? It's a neat story of D.L. Moody, the founder of the Moody Bible School and the Moody Church there in Chicago. But one night he was uh, out on the curb and he was in his car, and his car happened to be an old taxi or something very close to it, the same model as a taxi. And he had pulled up actually to pick somebody up at the railway depot, and it was raining. And, and a lady got out with her son and and were, thumbed him down and basically thought he was a taxi driver and a bellman and he just loads their bags into his car and drives them off to wherever they go. And when they finally got to their destination, the lady asked to pay him. She says, no, no, that's okay. He goes, no, I have to pay you. No, this is how you know. He says, no, that's not how I make my living. I'm a pastor. And she said, tell me the name of your church because what you just did is what a real person of God does. All he did was pick up some bags and throw them and take, them some, take somebody where they needed to go. You know, Paul was willing to make the best of it. It was a rainy night for D.L. Moody. He, he, you know, it wasn't exactly a great time to be taking a journey to someplace he didn't need to go. He was already looking for somebody else. He didn't find them, but he made the best of it. And in doing so, no doubt changed that woman and her son's life. Ministered to him in a way that they needed to be ministered to. And so that viper, to some degree, though it was meant for evil from the enemy, that Paul experiences is much like the things that come into our lives. Are you going to shake it off? Are you going to trust God? You know, flip that puppy on the ground and say, you know what, I believe in God. And I'm not suggesting that you don't seek medical care for snake bites either. People hear these things on the Internet. and I think he's preaching uh, some kind of demon heresy. No. If you get bit by a rattler, go to the doctor. Go see Dr. Bush down at Loma Linda. You might get to be on Animal Planet. The storm didn't drown him. The enemy's thinking maybe a hidden trap will get him. A snake will get him. 
But God's in both places, isn't he? God, God's not absent in the storm. God's not absent in the shipwreck. God's not absent in picking up the serpent. God's everywhere. It's really interesting that Paul actually would, I think, think back on this when he wrote Second Corinthians chapter 11. It said there in verse 3, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness that your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is Christ. He said it's simply Christ. The the serpent beguiled Eve. And Adam began to blame his wife. And, you know, the enemy's crafty in all of his ways. Matter of fact, uh, Peter would say that he walks around this earth as a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. But God, God's bigger. God's better. You and God are able to accomplish great things even in difficult circumstances. That passage there in 1 Peter chapter 5, I love what it actually says because it says, as he's seeking to devour people, all it says is, resist him. I love that. It doesn't say, you know, well, hopefully you've got a degree in theology or you've, you know, really been on your knees for a long time and you're a super prayer warrior. It just says resist him and be steadfast in the faith. And when you do that, you got God on your side. Snakes can't harm you. Shipwrecks can't drown you. Storms can't destroy you. And what Paul actually did through all these things was exactly what Jesus told him to do in Matthew chapter 5. You remember he said, And so let your light shine before men, that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, those snakes are just a way for you to glorify God. The shipwrecks are a way to glorify God. The storms are a way to glorify God. Financial problems, way to glorify God. Difficulty in your marriage, way to glorify God. Problem with your kids, it's a way to glorify God. It's, it's a way for you to be seen in the world as being so in love with the Lord and so transformed by what he's done in your life that he gets the glory for it because you couldn't have done it by yourself. Paul couldn't have done this by himself. Paul couldn't have survived the journey, and he sure couldn't have survived the shipwreck. He wouldn't have survived the serpent, and he wouldn't have been able to heal all these people and do the things he did without the Lord being with him. And so ultimately, God receives the glory for that. And people come to Christ because of it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, tonight we really do pray that you'd help us to have this mindset of making the best of the situations that you allow in our lives. Lord, the difficult things. Lord, the time-consuming things, the troubling things that we go through as the enemy would seek to devour as he would come with his cunning craftiness we pray that we just learn to lean on you to shake off those snakes to endure the storms Lord to swim through the shipwrecks as we know that you're with us wherever we go we bless you Lord we thank you for this night your goodness to us your blessings in our lives help us to have thankful hearts and Live our lives with gratefulness to you for your glory and for the work that you've done in us. We bless you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.